The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Our sermon today is Leviticus 2. It's the whole chapter, verses 1 through 16. And that says, this is the grain offering. When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour. And he shall pour oil on it and pour frankincense on it. He shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, one of whom shall take from it his handful of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense. Then the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering will be Aaron's and his son's. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. And if you bring as an offering a grain offering baked in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. But if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. You shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. Then the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. It is a sweet offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And what is left of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. As for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits green heads of grain roasted on the fire, grain beaten from full heads. And you should put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. Then the priest shall burn the memorial portion, part of its beaten grain and part of its oil with all the frankincense as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Today we're going to go through 16 verses of a chapter, which is often the downfall of many readers of the Bible. They quickly get through Genesis and through the first half of Exodus and when they get to the repetition in Exodus, they start to simply read for the sake of reading, but without the joy of what those verses actually picture. For us, those verses were literally filled with pictures of Jesus Christ. For the struggling reader of the final chapters of Exodus, they certainly come to Leviticus with great anticipation that a new book will bring many tasty delights, just like they saw earlier. Remember in Genesis, we had the story of the flood and we had the story of Abraham and all these wonderful stories. And maybe we'll get back into that with Leviticus, right? The first chapter is read and mentally ignored. And by the time they finish the second chapter, they will turn the page and skim over what chapter three might offer. And seeing that it's basically the same as chapters one and two, 
They quietly closed the book and put it on a shelf. I'll come back to this soon. I just need a break. Many never return to this marvelous treasure again. Some walk away from it for years and years. But then they hear someone speak on the glory of what is concealed in it, and they come back on fire once again. I have a friend in Ireland that wrote me exactly that this past week. He said, I can't believe how Leviticus has opened up. He said, I've always struggled getting through it. And watching the first two sermons, I've enjoyed it so much. And so this is a truth that we find with people reading the Bible. This chapter, like the last and like those to come, may seem irrelevant, outdated, and tedious to read on the surface. But when you're looking for Christ, nothing is irrelevant, outdated, or tedious. We just need to look for him. Out of 16 verses today, I suppose that we will draw out 50 to 100 pictures of him. Our text verse today comes from John chapter 5. It's verses 39 and 40. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Jesus wasn't talking about the New Testament when he said this. It didn't exist. Rather, he was speaking to the people of Israel about their scriptures. We call them the Old Testament. And when he said that they testify of him, he meant that they do so wholly and completely. This is the beauty of studying and getting into these seemingly repetitive and tedious passages. They are filled, literally filled with the glory of the Lord. When the New Testament writers explain what happened here in the Old, they use the same symbolism that they grew up with while they were reading these writings. They came to the marvelous understanding that all of these things were actually about Jesus. The grain offerings today follow logically after the burnt offerings of chapter 1. The burnt offering is as a life given up wholly to the Lord. The grain offerings will look to our works in the Lord, which are acceptable because of his works. Each step takes us through a picture of our own redemption and our own life in Christ. Let us never grow weary of pursuing these pictures of Christ from the Old Testament. In the end, our understanding of the new will be deepened and it will be enriched by what we see with each new revelation that was hidden in the old. Yes, it's all to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. Then may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I have three thoughts for you today. The first is the simple grain offering, which is verses 1 through 3. Verse 1, when anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, the next offering to be laid out in Leviticus takes the entire chapter to explain. It is the grain offering. The word in Hebrew is mincha, and it indicates that which is bestowed or a donation. It is generally a gift made from an inferior to a superior. John Lang notes the following. He says it signifies not so much resignation as giving or a return in the sense of childlike thankfulness, resignation of the support of life, of the enjoyment of life. Its motives is not through a divine demand as the performance of a duty or a debt, but through an instinctive desire of communion with Jehovah. However, despite this being possibly the case, that this is an offering of thankfulness and an instinctive desire, it is still outlined and specified here in the book of Leviticus. There are several sound reasons for this. The first is that when such offerings are to be made, they need to be presented in a manner which is acceptable to the Lord. The next is that each offering must prefigure Christ. 
as no offering apart from Christ is truly acceptable to God, then this is a logical and, and even necessary deduction. And thirdly, Lang may be a bit overzealous in stating that it is an instinctive desire. If it is, it is one which is easily quenched in man. How many of us would offer an offering to God if we were not somehow taught or instructed to do so? I would argue very few indeed. As Adam Clark clarifies, he says, It is such an offering as what is called natural religion might be reasonably expected to suggest. But alas, so far lost is man that even thankfulness to God for the fruits of the earth must be taught by a divine revelation. For in the heart of man, even the seeds of gratitude are not found till sown there by the hand of divine grace. Clark is correct in this, but there is even more. Even if the offering is mandated and the offerer comes forward as mandated to make an offering and he does it in accord with the specifications, it does not mean that the offering will be acceptable to the Lord. This is seen throughout the Old Testament, such as in the book of Amos chapter 5. Here's what it says. I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. An offering not made in faith and with a right heart before God is loathsome to him. This is proven from the very first time that this type of offering was seen in the Bible. It was in Genesis chapter 4 when Cain and Abel brought their mincha or offerings to the Lord. Abel's offering, according to Hebrews chapter 11, was of faith. Cain's was not, and it was not considered acceptable to the Lord. The next time the mincha was seen was in the offering that Jacob used to pacify his brother Esau after his many years in exile way up in Padan Aram. It is also the type of offering that Joseph's brothers made to him when they came before him as the ruler of Egypt. Because of the use of it in this passage, though, it generally became common to associate the mincha with a bloodless offering only. Here in verse 1, the offering is said to apply to anyone. The word is nefesh, which means soul. In the burnt offering of the previous chapter, an adam, or man, a human being, was to bring the offering. Verse 1 continues, His offering shall be a fine flower. Here the word solet, or fine, is used. It was first seen in Genesis 18, verse 6, when the Lord appeared with two angels to Abraham at his tent. He offered to make them a meal while they waited. When they agreed, it said this, so Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal. That word there, solet, knead it and make cakes. It is from an unused root, meaning to strip, flour as chipped off and thus fine. It is generally considered, even when not specifically stated, that wheat was the flour used in such an offering. It would be the best of things offered to the greatest of beings, meaning the creator, in this, it is a picture of Christ, the first and finest grain of wheat, as he alluded to himself in John 12, verse 24. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. It is a fitting emblem of Christ, who is the bread of life and the one who provides everlasting life to those who partake of him. Thus, the offering is an acknowledgment of this to God. 
It should be noted that the grain which is offered came from God, but it has been modified by man in the grinding process. Thus, a type of work is involved in the picture. It is a confession that the works we do are performed in Christ and are due only to him. This is seen in the next words. Verse 1 continues, and he shall pour oil on it. The word for pour is yatsak. It means to cast, as in casting bronze in a mold. From this, the idea of pouring is seen. One pours molten metal into a cast. Here the oil is poured onto the flour. It is a picture of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, as it is throughout the whole Bible. The term Messiah signifies the anointed one, as does the word Christ in Greek. It thus gives the idea of divine grace. Verse 1 continues, and put frankincense on it. After the oil, frankincense is added. It is an expensive and fragrant resin which exudes from a shrub and is collected for incense, perfume, and the like. In Hebrew, it is called levona. This comes from the word lavan, which means brick, and so it gives the idea of white, perhaps because of its smoke. The concept of brick in the Bible is one of human work. At the Tower of Babel, the people made lavan, or bricks, in order to work their way to heaven. In Egypt, the people were forced to make brick without straw and were unable to perform their duties. In both instances, pictures were being made of man's futile attempt at pleasing God through works. Their brick-making was tainted, and it was unacceptable. Here, the Levona pictures the acceptable works of Christ which are offered to God. Therefore, we see Christ's satisfaction through his work and his acceptable intercession for us because of it. In other words, without Christ, the works of preparing fine flour of the meal offering would be unacceptable to God. Only with Christ in the picture are the works acceptable. As this will be burnt on the altar, it indeed pictures his intercession for us. There is no such thing as going to God around a mediator. In Israel, the high priest was that mediator, but he only prefigured the true mediator who is Jesus Christ. He is seen in this offering. Once the frankincense is added, it was then brought to the priests. Verse 2, he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, one of whom shall take from it his handful of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense. Once the offering is brought to the priests, the attending priest was to take a handful of the flour and the oil, but all of the frankincense was to be gathered in that handful. The word handful is the word kamatz. It is a verb which means to grasp with the hand or take a handful. The Hebrew repeats then the noun form of the word, and thus it reads, and take a handful from there, a full handful. In this handful was to be all of the frankincense. Verse 2 continues, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. This full handful, including all of the incense, was to be burnt on the brazen altar where the other offerings were burnt. The word for burn signifies a burning of incense. Therefore, it's more than a mere burning, but one which is to be, as is then noted, a sweet aroma to the Lord. This portion was to be an azkarah, or a memorial offering. This is the first of seven times that the azkarah is mentioned. All but one are in the book of Leviticus. It comes from the word zakar, which means to remember, and thus it is a memorial. Everything about this points us to Christ. The frankincense is his work. This is why all of it was burnt. Our works are only acceptable if they are done in him. 
the oil, the grain, the words used, each aspect is to lead us to an understanding of what Christ has done for us and which then makes our works acceptable to God. Thus the memorial is of what Christ has done. Without it, there would not be anything worthy of remembering. It must be noted that the word used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament for memorial, this word azkara, is the same as that which is used in Acts 10, verse 4, when speaking of the prayers and the alms of Cornelius. Here's what it says there. Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. This is not without importance in understanding that the faith of the Gentiles was considered as a memorial which led them to Christ where they could then be sealed with the Holy Spirit. God is looking for faith in his faithless creatures. When that faith is united with belief in Christ, it leads to salvation. Verse 3, the rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his son's. It would make no sense for the offerer to receive back his offering. And the memorial portion was satisfactory for the picture of Christ and his work. Therefore, all that was left of this offering was given to the priests as their portion, This is important because, verse 3 continues, it is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. What was not burnt up was still considered as holy offered up to the Lord by the offerer. It was Kodesh Kadashim, or holy of holies to the Lord. Unlike the offerings which were completely burnt up on the altar, which were not called holy of holies to the Lord, the term is necessary here. The reason is that if it was burnt up, there'd be no possibility of anything remaining being used for profane purposes. However, because this offering had something remaining, it was given this descriptor, holy of holies, so that all would know that it was dedicated to the priests alone. What will it take to please the Lord? How much work will do? When will my deeds be enough? I think I've satisfied him through and through, but then I ponder about my life, all the bad stuff. And then I see that the bad outweighs the good, and so I do a bit more hoping it will be enough. But the nagging sensation makes it understood that doing wrong makes the good disappear like a puff. And then I heard that he had done it all for me. Jesus' works were perfect. God deemed it enough. Like frankincense, his life was accepted. How can it be? His works are sufficient to cover all my bad stuff. Our second thought today is the baked offerings, which is verses 4 through 13. Verse 4, and if you bring an offering, a grain offering baked in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil. This offering is one baked in a tanur or an oven. These are usually small fire pots or even portable earthenware furnaces, but they can even be holes dug in the ground and then coated with plaster. After bread was kneaded, it would be flattened out into a circular shape and hand pressed against the inside of the oven. It would bake while adhering to the wall and then be removed. The tanur are still used in parts of the world today. The same word for them is used to describe the smoking oven, which represented the presence of God that Abraham saw in Genesis chapter 15. In Isaiah and Malachi, the tanur represents divine judgment. The bread is halot matzot. Hala means to pierce. Therefore, it is pierced or punctured cakes. Matzot is unleavened bread. The word comes from a root meaning sweetness. These cakes were to be mixed with oil. Each aspect again pictures Christ. There is the divine judgment on sin, which was reckoned to him on our behalf. This is seen in the Tanur. There is the piercing of his body, seen in the Chala. 
There is the sweetness of his sinless life seen in the matzot, and there is the divine human life of Christ seen in the mixing of the oil in with the bread. Verse 4 continues, or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. This is another type of bread, rakik. It comes from the word rakak, which means to spit. So it is a thin cake like a wafer. They are also unleavened, but they are only anointed with oil. These likewise look to the offerings of Christ. In Leviticus chapter 15, verse 8, it will note that if a person defiled by a discharge were to spit rakak on a person, that person would become unclean. This bread then pictures Christ when he was spit on and beaten by the unclean Gentiles, as is stated in Luke 18. This was prophesied in Isaiah using the word rok, which comes from the word rakak. Here's what it says. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. But this bread is said to be unleavened, anointed with oil. The word anointed is mashach. It is the same word used to identify the coming Messiah in Isaiah 61, verse 1, where it says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed, mashach me, to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Thus, this pictures Christ as the sinless one, anointed to fulfill the messianic pictures presented in the Old Testament. Verse 5, but if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, it shall be a fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil. The next baked offering is one on a plate, or machabat. This is the first of just five times it's going to be seen in the Bible. The last one is in Ezekiel 4, verse 3, when it is used as an object lesson to Israel. Here's what it says. Moreover, take for yourself an iron plate and set it as an iron wall between you and the city. Set your face against it, and it shall be besieged, and you shall lay siege against it. This will be assigned to the house of Israel. The same fine flour is used. It was to be unleavened, and it was to be mixed with oil. Verse 6, you shall break it in its pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. This bread is then broken into pieces, and then oil is poured on it. The symbolism here looks to protection from judgment because of that rendered on the sinless Christ. The pieces of the bread would signify the many various aspects of his work, all fully mixed with the presence of the Spirit seen in the mixing in of the oil. Verse 7, if your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. The covered pan or marcheshet is introduced here, and it will only be seen two times, both in the book of Leviticus. It comes from the word rachash, which means to overflow. That's only seen in the Bible in Psalm 45 with these words. My heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. This final baked offering is also reflective of Christ, where the purity of his life is literally saturated with the Spirit of God. His fully human and perfectly sinless nature, which is intricately bound to his divine nature, is that which overflows in goodness towards the objects of his affections, meaning his people. Verse 8, you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord, and when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. What is implied here is that whichever of the three offerings were prepared, it was done by the people before going to the sanctuary. When they were ready, they brought it to the Lord, meaning to the sanctuary. 
It is at that time that they were presented to the priest who then brought it to the altar. The lay people could not approach the altar because, as we saw in previous sermons, it was most holy. Some scholars state that these offerings here were also made with frankincense, but none of it is stated explicitly here, so I want to be careful with that. Verse 15 does seem to imply that all of the grain offerings would have frankincense, though, despite it not being explicitly stated here. Verse 9, then the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. It is an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Like the grain offering of fine flour, a memorial portion is taken out. The Hebrew uses the word rum, which means to raise or to exalt. He exalts one portion above the rest as an offering, which will be burned as a sweet aroma to the Lord. Again, the word for burn means more than just to consume. It indicates to be fragrant, like incense. It is again, like before, a picture of Christ who was raised on the cross and exalted before God as a memorial portion to him. Verse 10, And what is left of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his son's. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. The words here are identical to Leviticus 2, verse 3, word for word, letter for letter. Verse 11, No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven, nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. Both leaven, or yeast, and honey were not to be burnt upon the altar due to fermentation, which is a type of putrefaction. When heated, they would swell, and they would froth, producing an appearance which represents moral evil. This prohibition is a negative one, which looks only to the positives in Christ. Matthew Henry gives us his thoughts on verses 1 through 11. I want to read this. Meat offerings, meaning grain offerings, may typify Christ as presented to God for us as being the bread of life to our souls. That's all very clear in what we've just seen. But rather, he adds in something, they seem to denote our obligation to God for the blessings of providence and those good works which are acceptable to God. These meat offerings are mentioned after the burnt offerings. Without an interest in the sacrifice of Christ and devotedness of heart to God, such services cannot be accepted. Leaven is the emblem of pride, malice, and hypocrisy, and honey of sensual pleasure. The former are directly opposed to the graces of humility, love, and sincerity, which God approves. The latter takes men from their exercises of devotion and the practice of good works. Christ in his character and sacrifice was wholly free from the things denoted by leaven. And his suffering life and agonizing death were the very opposites to the world of pleasure. His people are called to follow and to be like him. Matthew Henry is spot on in that commentary. Every verse thus far has looked forward to the work of Christ. The next will in another way. Verse 12, as for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord. This is a positive statement concerning the offering of leaven and or honey. The word them is referring to these ingredients. When the first fruits were offered, they would be included. This is seen, for example, in Leviticus chapter 23 with these words. You shall bring from your dwellings two waves of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. The honey could even be given as an offering itself, just as any yield of any crop or gathering. 
This is seen in 2 Chronicles chapter 31, verse 5, where it says this, As soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of grain and wine, oil and honey, and all of the produce of the field, and they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. Verse 12 continues, But they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. The prohibition against leaven and honey being burned on the altar is stated again. Repetition demands full attention to this precept. The picture of Christ is to be maintained at all costs and in all ways. Verse 13, And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all of your offerings, you shall offer salt. Salt has exactly the opposite effect of leaven and honey. Instead of corruption, it produces and signifies incorruption. It strengthens the food in which it is, and it preserves it. Thus, it is a sign of faithfulness and covenant-keeping. It goes so far as to indicate the perpetual nature of the covenant. It will never be broken as long as it is in force. Jesus refers to this command in Mark 9, verses 49 and 50. He says, For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. The inclusion of salt pictures Christ's incorruption, having never sinned before God. It represents his covenant-keeping nature and even as one who will never, never break the covenant that he makes. It should be noted that the use of salt is never given a set measure in Scripture. Any amount, and indeed any greater amount, was acceptable. It was to be without limit. This is in itself a picture of Christ Jesus, who is infinitely incorrupt. And for those who come to God through him, they are thus infinitely acceptable to God. There is no end to his faithfulness, no end to his covenant-keeping ability, and no end to his ability to preserve those who are in him. An offering baked in an oven, an offering to the Lord, another baked in a flat pan mixed with oil. Another is heated in a covered pan, according to the word. In that pan, it does boil. And then they are offered to the Lord. The priest takes a portion to the altar, and with it he presents salt of the covenant. In this duty, he is never to falter. The salt of the covenant, it reminds us each time of the covenant faithfulness of our Lord. We wait in anticipation, wonderfully sublime, for him to come as is promised in the word. Send us now, O God, send us Jesus. We await the salvation promised so long ago to us. Our third thought today is the grain of the first fruits, which is verses 14 through 16. Verse 14, if you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord. The first fruits here are in Hebrew, bikurim. They signify the first fruits of a crop which ripen, and thus they are the hasty fruits. The word comes from bakar, which means to bear new fruit or to constitute as firstborn. In the Bible, there are two symbolic uses of the first fruits. The first is a picture of Christ, and the second is a picture of the first of those who are in Christ. These pictures will be seen more clearly as we continue through Leviticus. For now, specifically, they point to the new birth in Christ and thus to his resurrection. Verse 14 continues, You shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits green heads of grain roasted on the fire, grain beaten from full heads. These are words filled with new or unique thoughts in Scripture. 
First, the green heads mentioned here is the Hebrew word aviv. It is from an unused root meaning to be tender and thus green. Hence, it is a young ear of grain, and from this comes the name of the Hebrew month Aviv, which is the first month of the redemptive calendar and the time of year when these grains would be green. It is the March-April time frame, right now, right now in our life. This is the only time the word is used when speaking of the grains rather than the month named because of the grains. The word for roasted is kala. This is the first of four times it's going to be seen. It is identical to the word kala, which means dishonored or degraded. The idea is that the grains would be shriveled from the heat and wrinkled through the roasting, as a person is metaphorically when he is degraded. And then there is the word beaten. It is the word geres, and it's found only here and in verse 16 of this chapter in the entire Bible. It indicates grain which is crushed. And finally, there is the word carmel, which is translated as full heads. It is from the same root as the word kerem, or vineyard. The word gives the sense of fertile, or being fruitful. The hints and shadows of Christ are plenty here. Aviv is the time of year when Christ was crucified, at the Passover. He was crucified at this time, but he was also resurrected at this time. Thus, he is the firstfruits of the resurrection, as Paul notes explicitly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 and verse 23. In the time of his passion, he was degraded and dishonored, just as the grains imply. He was also beaten, even crushed for our iniquities, just as Isaiah states in Isaiah 53, verse 5. And he came in the fullness of time when there was a great harvest awaiting, just as the full heads of grain imply. He was the first fruits of many who would follow after. Every detail that we have seen, again, points to Christ and what he has done for us. Of this verse, Adam Clark notes that the eating parched half-ripe ears is something the poor people would do. There has been a downward succession in these offerings from the greatest to the least, just as there was in chapter 1 with the burnt offerings. Clark thus states this, As God is represented as keeping a table among his people, for the tabernacle was his house, where he had the golden table, the showbread, etc., so he represents himself as partaking with them of all the elements that come in use, and even sitting down with the poor to a repast on parched corn. This, then, is a beautiful picture of Christ who did not and who does not shun any even the poorest or basest of the people, but was and is welcoming to any and to all who come to him in faith and show faithfulness to the God who establishes his people. Verse 15, and you should put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. The offering would have oil added, and just as was stated above, it was to have levona or frankincense added to it. Thus, it pictures Christ in exactly the same way as before. The oil is the presence of the Spirit and only his works or the works of those who are in Christ are sufficient to please God. The symbolism shouts out to us the work of Jesus Christ. Verse 15 continues, it is a grain offering. These words here seem to indicate that all grain offerings were to have frankincense added to them, even though several that we saw earlier did not explicitly state this. It does seem implied from the words that this is so. Regardless, this final offering explicitly does state it, and the use is the same as before, just as our last verse of the chapter indicates. Verse 16 finishes with, Then the priest shall burn the memorial portion, part of its beaten grain and part of its oil, with all the frankincense as an offering made by fire to the Lord. 
The priest would take a memorial portion of the offering and all of the frankincense and burn it on the altar, just as was noted earlier. And again, the word for burn indicates the burning of incense, not merely the consumption of what was laying there. The offering was to be a sweet savor when offered by fire to the Lord. As I said at the beginning of the sermon, so many people get to the chapters we're in and they stop reading this precious treasure, this gift of God. But it is so rich with hints of Christ and in understanding them, we have a much, much better appreciation for what is written in the New Testament. I would hope that the next time you wind your way through these chapters, that you would stop and ponder each unusual word that is used once or maybe just twice in the entire Bible and say, you know what? The Lord put that word in here just for me to know Jesus a little bit better. A sermon about how to make your day a bit nicer is as effective as your mood will be on any given day. But a look into the details of the Bible is worth much, much more to carry you through the longer-term difficulties that every one of us must face. We can have the firm foundation that God has blessed us with these details to tell us that for those who are in Christ, there is a great and a wonderful future which lies ahead. The minute attention here concerning Christ is enough to let us know that we are now and always will be on the right track. Let us never waver in this, knowing that his attention to the details of Christ translate directly into his attention on us because of Christ. And finally, if you have not received yet Jesus Christ into your life, why don't you make today the day? He looked after the poorest soul in Israel, giving them a chance to fellowship with him intimately. And you, if you are without Christ, you are far poorer than you might realize, but he will still fellowship with you if you will simply come with an offering of faith. And so let me very quickly, as I do each week, explain this in case somebody's watching this sermon that has never heard the simple gospel. The Bible teaches that there is a rift between God and man because of sin. The Bible says that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. I take it as an axiom, and every other person should as well, that we have sin in our lives. We've all told that lie. We've all done something which is wrong. And that one sin is enough to eternally separate us from our Heavenly Father. The wages of sin is death. We get death in our lives because we have sin in our lives. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We have earned death, just as I said at a funeral yesterday, that if you go to work on Monday morning, you're going to work all the way through till Friday, and you're going to say, it's time to pay me. And he's going to say, yeah, you're due that, because that is your wages. You have earned it. Well, we have earned death because we have sinned against a holy God. The wages of sin is death. But the Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He offers us a gift. It's something you cannot earn. Wages you earn, a gift is free. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Every single one of these offerings that we see right here pictures Christ in every single detail because an offering that is made to God without Christ cannot be acceptable. And that's why every single word is minutely chosen by God to show us Jesus. This is the offering that I will accept. And if you offer yourself through this offering, Jesus Christ, I will now accept you. That's the pictures we're being given in the book of Leviticus. I know that it seems tedious when you've read this in the past, but if you can't see Jesus after these sermons, wow, every, every word, and he's trying to tell us, do it. And so Paul finishes his thought in the book of Romans chapter 10 with, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. There's no maybe, there's you might lose it later, 
whatever. There's none of that in the Bible. You will be saved, okay? Take it in your heart. Believe that God did this through Jesus Christ and he raised him to newness of life through the power of the resurrection to prove that Jesus Christ was without sin. And you too will be reckoned as without sin if you call on Jesus Christ, okay? Please do that today. I have a closing verse for you today from Joel. Joel chapter 2. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Next week is our Resurrection Day sermon. May our thoughts about the law never be twisted or diminished. It is entitled, It is Finished. Thank you. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise that you have to do anything to please God except receive Jesus Christ. When he hung on the cross on that glorious day and gave his life up for your sins and for mine, the last words he said were, it is finished. It is done. The law is over and we are now in Christ if we call on him. You're going to see that next week in detail. And uh, I know that some of you won't be here. You'll be traveling or whatever. So please watch that online so you get a little bit of... uh, a little bit of uh, theology from a different perspective as I do a couple times a year. Then I'll tell you this as I do each week. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. Even if you have a lifetime of sin heaped up behind you, he can wash it away and he can purify you completely and wholly. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. And don't forget that second part, okay? Through you. He's asking you to be used of him for other purposes. Telling people about Jesus. Paul's tracks back there. Got a million of them. Take some. Hand them out. You go to after dinner. How many of you go out to dinner? How many eat food? Okay. You can give somebody a track. You don't even have to give to them. If you're embarrassed, just leave it there. All right. Tell people about the Lord. Tell people about what Jesus has done. I tell you, the time is getting short. Look at the prophecy update today. All the things that have happened in one week. And then it's all pointing to what's coming at the end of days. We got to be getting close. Tell people about Jesus. Our poem today, The Grain Offering. When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering of fine flour shall it be. And he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it, so it shall smell sweetly. He shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, one of whom shall take from it his handful of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense, as to you I now submit. Then the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, according to my word, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron and his sons. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. Thus it is for them. They're the only ones. And if you bring as an offering a grain offering baked in the oven, yes, this type of toil, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil for something baked in this you shall toil. But if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in its pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering such as the grain offerings toil. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made with fine flour with oil. Thus you are to relay to them this plan. You shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar according to this word. 
Then the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion, now you have heard, and burn it on the altar. It is an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And what is left of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. It is for them. They are the only ones. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, according to this word. For you shall bring no leaven nor any honey in any offering made by fire to the Lord. As for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord. But they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. With this you shall be in accord. And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt, so you shall do. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering, as I now instruct to you. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. In adhering to this, you shall not be found in fault. If you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits green heads of grain, roasted on the fire, grain beaten from full heads as a proffering. And you shall pour oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. So to you these details I now submit. Then the priest shall burn the memorial portion, part of its beaten grain and part of its oil, according to this word, with all the frankincense as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Time and time again they came to do these things. Year after year they continued in this obligation, in anticipation of the one to whom the heart sings. They awaited on the Messiah of the Hebrew nation. And he came right on time, the glorious Lord, he who was seen in each detail of the grain offering. And he fulfilled each picture according to the word. To God his life was made the final proffering. Thank you, O God, for what was done by Jesus. Thank you for what you, through him, have done for each of us. A covenant of salt, perfect and eternal, was kept by you and fulfilled in what he alone could do. He has kept us from the pit, fiery and infernal. And so in his name, we send out our praises to you. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for your word, this precious word, which is so filled with details of Christ. What a sure rock that we stand on when we understand what you are doing through these otherwise obscure passages, which are so easily just read over and on to the next chapter where we can find a war or a battle or a love story is so much easier to read. But when we look at the details, there is Jesus on every single page, and it's you showing us the perfection of what he did for us. Thank you for that. Unperfect us allowed into your presence because of what he has done. Thank you, O oh God. And Lord, we certainly have a special prayer for Graham today is because he uh, uh, is struggling over in um, uh, Scotland right now. And he's really, really having a trial in his life. And uh, we would pray that you would be with him through it, that you would cure him of this affliction and bring him back to his family quickly and without any, uh, any more troubles. And Lord, I have one more prayer, which was asked of me a moment ago. It was for Stephanie and who? What was the other name? Julian. Okay, so we have these two people that are really struggling with an issue, a personal issue that uh, you know about, Lord, and uh, you alone uh, need to know about it. The rest of us can just petition you for them and uh, that you would help them through this very, very difficult time in their lives. They're uh, personal friends of ours. Many of us know the uh, close family to them, and uh, what has happened in the family is really a disaster. And so we would pray that your hand would be upon them and help them through this. And Lord, we look to you for all things, for our daily food and for each blessing that comes our way and for relief from the trials and the troubles. Lord, 
We thank you that you are there with us in these things. Help us to give you the glory that you're due because you are certainly worthy of it. Remind us to do these things so that we will be proper stewards of our relationship with you. We exalt you and we praise you and we do it in the beautiful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Amen.